0: You are listening to the voice of Ahlu sunnah wal-Jama'ah. Merkaz Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jumma Mubarak. Ah, well, it's a uh, beautiful day of Juma has arrived again. Equal to two Eids. Two Eids. And we get it every single week. Alhamdulillah. This most gracious day is upon us once again. Inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, you've done your, you've done your your Quran readings. Um, yeah, you've made your hundred Durud after Maghrib Salah. 70, 70 uh, needs in the dunya, thirty needs in the akhirah will be met just with that. Uh, yeah, this is a wonderful day. Allah Taala increases rewards in this day for for, for good deeds. This is a night for durud. Uh This is a night for ibadah. This is a this is a day for durud, durud throughout the day. Of course, there's also a day when when du'as are most assuredly accepted. We are told that uh, time for acceptance can be from the moment the the um, imam sits down uh, on the on the mimbar until the, the finalization of salah. I was told. Uh, m- many people say that it is you know just while he's sitting down, but apparently that 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 time continues until the end of salah and also uh after Asasullah uh today uh you can just 80 you just you you, you, you just read 80 allahumma ala taslima just read that 80 times and allah ta'ala will bless you the sawab equivalent to 80 years of ibadah that is told by uh, abu hurairah radhiyallahu anhu uh so there, that's a, that's a highly esteemed source. And, uh, yeah, it is it is a wonderful business opportunity. You know, you want to make a minimal investment to get a maximum return. This is ROI like you'll never get anywhere in the world. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Allah Ta'ala has provide us, provided us with this most wonderful of days. Well, uh, it's been uh, a pretty busy day on international markets. Uh, more... Uh, wrestling between the United States and mainland China. Uh, Donald Trump um, uh, saying yes, he's hoping for a one-on-one with Xi Jinping of China, the leader of China. And uh, whether or not uh, you know a personal meeting with Donald Trump uh, holds as much allure as it did apparently to Imran Khan of Pakistan. Uh, whether or not Jin Xiaoping will be thinking to himself wow I'm going to be able to sit with uh, Donald Trump we have my photograph taken with him Mm. I don't think it's got that big an attraction it it would uh, seem that uh, the Chinese do not like uh, diplomacy being managed through tweets through rough rudeness and brusqueness Uh, this is a time you know you can remind yourself when you look at Donald Trump that uh, yeah one of the doors of Jannah is good manners good adab Uh, It's a far cry from the 1900s when Teddy Roosevelt used to say that when you want to project international power, of course, Teddy Roosevelt was a president that oversaw the emergence of America as a true imperialist power with the war against Spain. Uh, Took over Manila, started moving, uh, taking over, you know, basically Taking colonies, it 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 was a period of expansion that was accelerated with um, the the outbreak of World War One. Britain, in order to pay for her uh, war debts, had to transfer a whole lot of colonies and assets across to the United States, and the same thing happened uh, with World War Two. At the end of World War Two, America was fully, uh, without any any doubt, uh, a fully colonial power. Um, the Monroe Doctrine relating to America's rights to um, a dictate the uh, the political direction of the Americas, North and South, um, also something led America into the world of imperialism with the Suez Canal Crisis, um, the British Britain's Foreign Office files, the famous files that. Uh, that uh, administered the colonies for so many years were transferred lock, stock and barrel across to the lock, stock and and filing cabinet across to Washington. And uh, yeah, I suppose you could say the brain of colonialism uh, after that was transferred to the United States. Uh, Well, uh, the United States is no longer projecting power like it used to do in Teddy Roosevelt's days. Teddy Roosevelt used to say that the secret uh, to maintaining a good, strong international image is to walk softly but carry a big stick. Nowadays, America is waving big sticks around and it's shouting very loudly. And, uh, you know, the, the... the shrill crescendo the which are the levels to which it has reached uh, indicative that this isn't um a world superpower that is confident of its position or its abilities or indeed of um of its uh, pa- partners and uh, and opponents uh, increasingly america entering into deals with people and then pulling out of them you never know if you're into a deal with the United States whether or not it's going to be worth a paper. It's written on China, I'm sure. Um, must be looking at the United States. is seeing seen this irascible president um, making outrageous demands in the rudest of ways. This is so anti-Chinese, it's unbelievable. Uh, anyone who's got a, a remote... Um, Uh, kind of like understanding of of Chinese culture. And I'm not saying I'm one of those people. But I do know that face is a very important thing uh, to the Chinese. Uh, Good manners are illustrated by um, ensuring that a person doesn't lose face in public. Uh, Very much... uh, in accordance with the lines of adab as, as espoused by Nabi Kareem sallallahu alaihi you must you must be sensitive to the other person's position, and that's in essence, I suppose, uh, what lies behind uh, uh, Chinese uh, the Chinese version of face. Uh, Donald Trump is rude; um, he insults; uh, he treats people as inferiors, and uh, and that is something that China, after having endured. Uh, America, uh, French and British warships sailing up the Yangtze to bombard uh, the Forbidden Palace, which was the home of the emperor at the time. There's no way they're going to forget that, you know. And so when America speaks about being a democracy and uh, believing in human rights and then, you know, basically speaks to them as though they're second-class citizens, it just doesn't go down well with China. And I'm quite sure that China is saying, well, if we do get a trade deal with, uh, with the United States, what's going to stop the United States from doing exactly the same thing as they've done with the nuclear deal, the joint uh, parties uh, agreement that uh, took so long uh, to hammer together? And uh, then two years later, America just says we're pulling out of it. It's a, it's a lousy deal. If China were to enter into a trade deal with America today, what would stop America, Donald Trump at the home, from turning around next month, next week, next year, and saying, Okay, this trade deal we're tearing it up again? Are oh, they saying why should we bother with this? Yeah, it's uh, it's causing problems all around the world. A bit of a a bit of a claw back today, um with the Donald Trump like offering I suppose you could only say a Donald Trump-style um, olive branch to to the Chinese, um, saying, "Yeah, I know we can have a one-on-one meeting and so on." But China must be saying, "You know, you know, we do we, we we don't need uh, tinsel and and sparklers here. We're not interested in that kind of thing." Maybe Donald Trump seems to think it will count something, but uh, I don't think China's putting much much weight to it. They must be looking at the fact that like, well, one of the main oil suppliers is Iran. And they're going to continue. Uh, they're not going to back down out of that, out of uh, keeping Iran as as a main oil supplier. And America threatening sanctions and saying there's not going to be any exceptions. China must be saying to themselves, look, what's going to happen? We see we're going to sign a trade deal with them this month or next month, or maybe we sign a trade deal with them next year. They're going to slap sanctions on us for, um, you know, dealing with Iran. So uh, you know, Ireland, uh, uh, China is is uh, forced now in a position where it is backs against the wall, and it's uh, this kind of like brinkmanship, which is characteristic of that other blonde-haired idiot on the other side of the Atlantic, Boris Johnson, regarding his negotiations with Brexit. Yeah, we're going to go and we're going to give it to the Europeans. Yeah, we're not going to pay our forty-nine billion pounds that we said we would pay as part of the Brexit uh, Brexit breakup. We're going to withhold that money. Well, you can say that right now before you even head into the negotiating table. Your negotiating position is clearly put out there. And, of course, it's brinkmanship once again. And uh, that leaves the EU with no room to kind of like a maneuver on their side. And that means that before negotiations even start, any talks even happen, that is going to be a refusal. Well, now, Jeremy Corbyn in the United Kingdom says he's getting uh, all the other parties together. Uh, to try and, um, I don't know, try and force uh, an election if there is a, a hard Brexit. Uh, you know, many people pointing out that around about 90,000 people elected Boris Johnson into his position. Of course, it's, a, it's, it's very much a repeat of Gordon Brown uh, uh, quite a few years ago when he took over from Tony Blair. Tony Blair was hoping to go for a third term, and uh, the Labour Party uh, revolted. And as a result of that, Gordon Brown took over the helm as British Prime Minister, and he wasn't elected either. So now we have uh, Boris Johnson moving in, and he's also an unelected British Prime Minister. Uh, Parliamentary rules in Britain do not require an election uh, in order to change Prime Minister's. So uh, we we have a situation where uh, Jeremy Corbyn is saying he's quite sure that the people of Britain are not, uh, you know, at least you can say with Gordon Brown he didn't take any um, sort of crazy adventurous positions as Boris Johnson has done, and many people uh, before Boris Johnson took over in Britain were saying that they wanted an, either an election or another referendum on the Brexit. And Boris Johnson said, no, we've already had our referendum, and we've already had the people speak, and so I'm going to implement a democracy. You know, one of the most undemocratically nominated leaders of the British Parliament, uh, one of the least liberal, one of the most irascible, one of the most racist, uh, is now saying uh, that he's uh, standing up for democracy. Mm. Well, that's not going down well with the public. Of course, it's not going down well in Ireland either. They don't want to have a hard border introduced between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland after having become so used to the idea of just being able to cross over. You know, it's, it's, it's almost you know, it's like crossing over from Gauteng into the Free State. Uh, and now there's going to be a return to a hard border. There's going to be a return to tensions. There's going to be a return to conflict. And if that's going to happen, then it's going to be a return to the troubles. So Ireland are now suggesting that perhaps what St. Fein should do is, uh, St. Fein is the um, the armed wing of the Irish Republican Army, or rather the political wing of the Irish Republican Army. <clears throat> they have seven seats in Ulster, and uh, the suggestion is that now St. Fein uh, resign those seats. Uh, but you know the, the odd thing about the Sinn Fein seats in the British Parliament is that Sinn Féin never actually appointed anyone to take up the seats. They won the seats in the election, but then they didn't appoint anyone to go sit in the Parliament, which was a, a, a bit of a loss, a bit of a setback, because the the, the real Irish voice regarding uh, the hard board in Ireland was never heard throughout all of this whole thing, simply because Sinn Féin d- uh, said that on a principal position, there is no way that they're going to put someone into the British Parliament in order to, to oversee their own oppression. Something uh, which you could say is what is happening in Gaza at the moment. Uh, I haven't seen any like, sort of big, uh, big news reports about it, but uh, um, Hamas have entered into a deal with Nazi Israel, and uh, that is that they have now got their own um, perimeter um, patrols now going and ensuring that uh, no one in Gaza is going to attack Israel. Uh, So basically they're in the sort of situation that Fatah has been in since 2006 when they won the – no, Hamas won that election. Fatah has been in ever since the PLO was the preferred negotiating partner to the Oslo Peace Accord process. That's – yeah, 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 that's right. That's how uh, Fatah has got its uh, international presence and continued presence in the West Bank. So now uh, Fatah uh, was put into that uh, that uh, unacceptable position of now policing the West Bank on behalf of apartheid Israel, and uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's a difficult situation. It's a difficult situation. Well, Sun Fein said, well, we're not going to police our own oppression. And it's something that Fatah has found itself uh, pulled into, and uh, and I seriously suspect it's got something to do with the Leviathan oil field off the coast off the coast of Gaza. There's uh, Gaza is entitled to I think about 25% of of the proceeds, and the Israelis have said that there's no ways that we're going to pay for all of this. So it seems as though there's been some kind of like backdoor kind of uh, agreement regarding uh, flow of funds and uh, Hamas, you know. Uh, I say very often that we need to replace uh, the corporation with the Klan, and when I speak about the corporation, I don't just mean uh, like Anglo-American and De Beers, I also mean political parties like uh, the ANC, um, Labour Party, the Republican Party in America, and so on, the Socialists in France, and so on. Uh, They are are all corporations too Artificial personalities created in law Given uh, a right to uh, legal representation in the courts and so on Given legal rights of personality and so on But of course they are artificial personalities And uh, one of the fundamentals of um, Islamic business Is that you have to do business with a person So of course these aren't real persons And so this is where the difficulty lies and, of course, uh, it is uh, the means of the 1% to maintain the veil, to hide their corruption. This is the veil of uh, <clears throat> of the West, I've said many times on the show. And, uh, well, Fatah is as much a uh, a corporation as the ANC or Anglo-American, for that matter. Of course it is, you know, allows people to make deals behind closed doors. And, the, and this now deal where Fatah finds itself, I mean, Hamas finds itself in a position where it is now policing the border. It is now policing what they call in the fence. Can you believe it? They call in that huge, big wall, bigger than the Berlin Wall. They call in the fence. Hamas is calling it the fence. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, uh, it's, it's these means, you know, dicing and chopping uh, up the Islamic world after World War One, putting us all behind these artificial borders given us countries, you know, you're sitting on an oil field and suddenly your oil field is a country and you've got like 40,000 people that are going to be enjoying uh, financial largesse or far in excess of anything anyone else is going to enjoy in the world and you've, you've basically got to do very little um, you know it's such a sweet deal, it's difficult to turn down and uh, hence here now we find the Muslim world and no matter how we try and unite, we try to unite as foreigners to each other it's a it's a, it's a very strange circumstance cause go cause of many problems but anyway, yes many problems in the world. Uh, nevertheless today was a was a better day than usual for the south african rand uh, we 've risen one percent against the dollar point six percent against the pound and one point three five percent against the euro that 's largely thanks to kind of like Donald Trump kind of like offering uh, that olive branch, but whether or not that 's going to result in anything significant going forward in terms of the trade talks uh, remains to be seen. I like seriously have my own personal doubts in that regard. The JC all share on 53,840, continuing uh, that downward trend. Uh, we, we were told foreigners are putting money out of the markets. Um, a flight is safer, you could say. But it's, uh, it's been a, a, a trend we've seen repeated ever since the Asian flu of 1997. Uh, money flowing into the United States, people were putting their money into US treasuries and uh, that's seen as the safest place and then when, you know, when Risk uh, returns into the market and it starts looking far more appealing. That's when they come into the, the emerging markets. So in many ways, uh, this is a consequence of, of international dynamics. But of course, here at home, we're hardly um, playing the sort of game that would provide some kind of like a local support. For all of these kind of like indicators that we have regarding uh, economic health in South Africa, gold is currently trading at thousand five hundred and twenty dollars a fine ounce. Big winners on the JSE today were Discovery, Standard Bank, Rand Merchant Bank, Absa Bank, and Nedcor. Sure, bankers all across the way. I suppose that's with the rand with the, with the rand increasing. Um, the uh, Goldfields, Africa Rainbow Minerals, uh, ASOR, CAP, which is also a regular feature lately, and Anglo Plat. So that's uh, four out of those five big losers on the JSE today are also are in the resources sector. Mm. Well, I, I guess that says something. Um, today, good good news coming out from Parlor Platinum, saying that they're expecting a profit at their re- ne- next results. Uh, So, yeah, if you want to, if you're feeling it's time to enter the market, you've got a little bit of loose money lying around, maybe you go and buy some implant shares and share in the dividend. Because people are saying now it's time for implants to pay the dividend. They've just made a a nice bond deal. They've reduced their uh, corporate bond costs. Um, higher platinum prices, uh, they've settled a whole lot of debt, uh, they've got their operations up and running uh, uh, efficiently, and uh, that means that all things been equal Anglo Platinum should be issuing a dividend, uh, I don't think Anglo Platinum has, any, has said anything in that regard, uh, but uh, yeah, there seem to be market expectations that there's a dividend in the offing. Um China has called uh, planned U.S. tariffs on an additional $300 billion of Chinese goods a violation of accords reached by President Donald Trump and Xi Jinping, signaling its intention to impose retaliatory measures. Uh, This is the reason why the JSC continues to do so badly. A short Thursday statement from the Chinese State Council Tariff Committee did not say what measures would be imposed. uh, And yeah, we are still waiting to hear. Um, former Deputy Finance Minister um, BC Jonas, who um, who said that at one stage he's offered 600 million rands, <clears throat> uh, and uh, and the, uh, the, the, the and and he was told he can take over as finance minister uh, during uh, Jacob Zuma's presidency. Uh, he says that South Africa isn't far removed from chaos. And that there exists a historic opportunity for government to effect drastic and necessary structural changes to the economy and the country. Well, I must say that that is really started, uh, really, uh, th- 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 that's major spin. And, you know, there, there, there may be some truth in it. Um, you'll find uh, very often uh, in times of crisis, uh, money that has been held or hoarded is forced into release. Um, the historians looking back at the, at the Islamic uh, conquests and the massive wealth that flowed back to, uh, to Mecca and Medina uh, in, the, in the wake of those conquests say, well, have a, have a look at where did that money come from? You know, uh, a lot of that money was in terms of uh, gold and jewelry and, and vases and so on. Uh, A whole lot of money that people had been keeping uh, in, uh, you know, hoarding in safety uh, and and not spending. You know, lazy money as, you know, there was a term uh, 20 years ago in South Africa, you know, lazy money. You don't want money to be sitting around doing nothing, just uh, collecting interest. You want it operating and working in the economy. And I would say that is uh, very much a problem that we're facing today. Uh, we do have a lot of money. There are big war chests uh, among the JSE companies, and they're not investing in it locally. Uh, in many ways, this is providing ammunition for the uh, people who say that we need to have, and once again, I can't remember the word, uh, we need to have... Um, uh when you when you force people to invest in certain things um Prescribed assets, yes, that's what they Called it, the prescribed assets, you know uh, You force uh, pension funds uh, Investment companies And so on, and perhaps even JSE companies, they've got huge Big war chests and uh, they're not really Doing anything, but are just earning interest on it uh, You force them to Invest a portion of their funds In certain state, uh, state Assets uh, uh, Such as like buying ESCOM bonds And so on, and, the, and this is the thing that has got uh, South Africans worried Well, you know, pension fund managers and so on worried that, you know, they're going to force us to put money into ESCOM and that's just like throwing money into an empty hole, into a bottomless pit. So it is causing problems. But, you know, uh, when it comes to uh, other things, I mean, uh, the prescribed assets in South Africa during apartheid were enforced on the country uh, because of the international credit um, credit lines being cut and the embargo against apartheid. Uh, as a result of that, the, the apartheid government then forced pension funds and so on to invest a certain amount of their money uh, in in state assets and so on. And it is a result of that that we actually have like a three, four trillion rands worth of investment money here in South Africa. Four trillion rands of investment of pension fund money here in South Africa. So uh, you know, if that money is not being invested, uh, is not being invested uh, locally. Well, then, well, then, you know, you've also got Regulation 28, which also restricts the amount of money that uh, pension funds are allowed to invest overseas, and they have been complaining about that. Uh, but, But yeah, I mean, that 4 trillion rand that we have was largely a result of the apartheid government saying, you've got to invest this money locally, you've got to invest it in our projects. But of course, the projects were better administered in those days. Uh, Nowadays, uh, that is not the situation. We do not have, you know, at least when when the apartheid government built the power station, it would actually start producing power. And i 'm afraid that is not something we can say about Madupi Madupia or Casile uh and they like that 's run about three how much three hundred billion three hundred fifty billion rands worth of money being thrown at them uh, and uh, you know there there 's even talk that we, we we just walk away from these investments and uh, that's that just doesn't it doesn 't sit well with me it 's like one of those sickening things that you have but anyway uh um, BC Jonas uh, says that it's not all dark here. Uh, this could be a moment of opportunity for us. You know, in many ways, you could say that uh, the ability of the ANC to negotiate at. Um, what do did, what, what did they call those negotiations? The, the. Oh, I can't believe I've actually forgotten about them. What's the name of those. Um, um, Well, anyway, during negotiations to end apartheid, the ANC had a certain kind of political power, and they don't have that kind of... uh, uh, They didn't have the the same kind of power that they have now, Uh, and the forces opposing them were far stronger. Now, you know, the ANC is in power, and the economy is uh, trotting around like a drunk man, or someone who's been starved to death. And, uh, yes, you know... uh, it is a moment for start hearts, for clear minds, and for sincerity. Whether or not we're going to be able to get sincerity is 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 a major issue, uh, because if you if you look at the amount of money, you know, I was speaking yesterday saying that it was actually Trevor Manuel who put together the mechanism that uh, allowed us to actually go and and pay for all of this all of this infrastructure that we've so seen installed at Madupi and Kassile and like in you know, the one oh five six um locomotive deal where we bought all these locomotives from Belgium and they couldn't fit onto mm-hmm. our railway lines. Uh, we 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 entered into a, we had to pay Airbus four billion four billion uh, I don't know it four billion dollars or four billion rand when we pulled out of a deal we we're going to buy Airbuses and so on uh, all, there's all kinds of terrible things that have been done uh, ever since Jacob Zuma came onto the scene hey yeah 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 and uh, whether or not we're going to be able to turn it around or not remains to be seen. Now, I know a whole lot of people uh, may dislike Ace Magashule, uh the state capture guys. But, uh, you know, uh, these two formations that have grown up within the ANC, um, yes, Lutas, uh, a Lutas Continua, um, I would say Ace Magashule is a Looter Continua. Yes, he is. I would say he is, you know, put a gun against my head. Is Ace Magashulu to be trusted? Not a chance. Not a chance. But you see, they they represent a populist portion of the ANC, a populist portion of this country that are not having their rights and uh, expectations met, legitimate expectations met. And so they're falling increasingly behind, the demagogues. And if the other portion of the ANC is only able to kind of like follow the mainstream economic line, then uh, these two camps within the ANC are inevitably going to draw further and further apart. And uh, it is up to people like Ace Magashule or it is up to people like Asil Ramaphosa to start giving a clear and concise voice to the people that Ace Magashule has hijacked. And has got behind him in support. You need to start giving voice to those people's needs more clearly. Ace Magashule isn't going to do it. Um, Julius Malema isn't going to do it. It's up to the Amaklevas within the ANC to start doing that. They need to come down off the high horses. You know, they go to university, they get degrees and they come out and, you know, they get into the positions because they're able to speak the language of the formal economy. And they hold on to those positions by continuing to speak the language of the formal economy, much like Lesetio Chaniago is doing at the head of the Reserve Bank. He says the barbarians are at the gate. He definitely speaking the language of the formal economy. But he's most definitely not addressing what is in actual fact a groundswell of a bitter resentment to the fact that the formal economy is not doing anything for them. You take the the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people who are living there in the rural areas outside Nelspruit, in Hazyview, and Guiani and so on. Uh, and you speak about trickle down effect. You know, uh, people voted in nineteen ninety four, and they did. Uh, they they their children are now still waiting. They're not going to listen to trickle down nonsense. And something needs to be done. The Amma within, in, within the ANC need to start giving a clear and articulate voice to that groundswell. And if they don't, the country is never, ever, ever going to come right. But anyway, that's my, my overview for today. Uh, let's go into more detail when we return from uh, this quick commercial break inshallah. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Asalaamu alaikum, Welcome back. Well, just now, if you want to share your views on the show, uh, you can WhatsApp us on 0847863132. Or you can give us a call here in Lin on 010 00, 10 0 11004 WhatsApp us on 0847863132. So, we were saying before the break that BC uh, Jonas believes that South Africa is far removed from chaos, but nevertheless, this... Uh, This is introducing a fluidity into the situation and uh, there exists, there is coming into being a historic opportunity where we can have a major sea change. Uh, we can turn things around, you know, um, Moments of crisis can do that, but of course, moments of crisis can do exactly the opposite, and generally, uh, when moments of crisis arrive, they generally tend to go south rather than north. But nevertheless, ABC Jonas is saying that, yeah, we can, in actual fact, turn this around. We can turn this into an opportunity. If we are going to turn this into an opportunity, then, uh, you know, it's going to be up to very much the people who were at his book launch uh, yesterday. He's just published a book entitled After Dawn, Hope After State Capture. And it's the very people who are attending his book launch who are, who are actually who are actually uh, facing the major challenge. I don't think Ace Magasule and Julius Malema actually have the wherewithal, the intellectual wherewithal, uh, um to in actual fact uh find a a a meeting place between formal economic needs and uh, the informal groundswell of resentment that they represent this is very much you know they're able to get away with what they do they're able to command this kind of um uh, potential palace revolutionary body within uh, the ANC. They're able to contain this because there is very strong resentment and widespread resentment in South Africa. And we've seen it here uh, in Soweto just last night in the xenophobia that has been breaking out. Once again, uh, the Sowetans going and burning and looting foreigners' shops. Uh, saying, yeah, no, we're doing it because they were attacking the police in uh, Joburg CBD last week. Whereas in actual fact, it's got very little to do with that. And it's got to do with the inability of the economy to grow. Uh, and uh, it's got to do with uh, the, the dwindling economy. And people are feeling it everywhere, you know. You catch a minibus nowadays and uh, it's, it's it's very much a regular thing that someone in the minibus uh, is is missing one land. I uh, know I dropped one hand and uh, no, the person doesn't own up you know it comes to the final tally to the person on the front seat and suddenly ah there's one land, one land missing who's who's missing the one end where's the one land where's the one end and, uh, and there's no one turning up, and you know that the the taxi driver gets angry and uh you know that kind of thing uh used to be um I only encountered it in actual fact, this is only the second time I am encountering it. Uh, and that is, uh, it was after the 2008 uh, crisis, uh, uh, that started becoming a common phenomenon. So it's, uh, it's quite a, quite interesting, if the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry has ever considered of like, um, you know, implementing uh, a consumer um, um, indicator measurer in um, taxi driver, minibus taxi drivers, uh, cabs, to see uh, how many times somebody doesn't have, have enough money to pay for the. this one land missing out of the total. Yeah, because really when South Africa starts uh, going into economically troubled times, people in minibus taxis suddenly uh, don't have enough money, but nevertheless they have to get into the taxi and they do. And the desperation is such that they're going to try and cheat their way into work or into seeking work or into somewhere else where they can trade and make some money. Yeah, well, we are, uh, but nevertheless, uh, the kind of people who were at um, .BC. Jonas's uh, book launch yesterday are in fact the kind of people who are facing, who are facing the challenge to enunciate and uh, to meet the needs of this groundswell, because this groundswell is a groundswell of anger, it is a groundswell of emotion it is a groundswell reacting to the conditions that people are living in and it and it needs to be given a a, a, a voice it needs to be given a direction Otherwise, you know, this historic opportunity that ABC Jonas is speaking about is going to pass us by and we're going to descend into chaos. So that means it's going to be, it's up to um, Pravin Lung Lungisa Fuzile, Ismail Momoniat, uh, Yolisa Tianti, people like that, Cyril Ramaphosa, huh? the Amaklevas of the ANC, and really now have to start producing. They really have to start producing. So far, the ANC has not been able to transform uh, in any way the system that it's taken over. And in, instead, the system is transforming the ANC. And the ANC, the Kama Clevers, are being pushed out and no longer able to represent uh, that, that populous part of the ANC. And whether or not Ace Magashuli and them are able to represent that either is an arguable point. Uh, But nevertheless, they are able to attract their support. You know, uh, so if we want to devolve into populism and anarchy, uh, well then, you know, it's only going to happen because the Amaklevas are unable to, in actual fact, rise to the challenge that is facing us right now in this country. Um, also in attendance, Lesete Kanyago, the Reserve Bank Governor, former um, IDC Minister, Derek Hanakom, Muga, Nguga, Bulelani Nguga uh, former Minister of Public Enterprises. He was uh, married uh, to the woman who was um, kidnapping Muslims out of South Africa while she was uh, Minister of Police. Uh, Barbara Hogan. Uh, Mark Barnes was there. He's a really nice guy, I must say. Um, Mark Barnes, he uh, is like you know, he is the kind of like white South African we need in this country. I mean, he really, he, he. I first met Mark Barnes uh, quite a few years ago. I had to go and interview him after he'd um, beaten up one of the board members of the JSC. <laughs> I thought to myself, yes, here you go, here's someone. Yeah, someone, he is a man of character. He's a character. He's a character. Yeah, he is, most, You know, you know, let get those characters. Yeah. He's very much a character. And, uh, I mean, uh, he's, he's a man who, who wants to make things work. Uh, I would say he's a man whose heart is in the right right place. May Allah uh, bless him with his diet. Also, Johan Kuchler, There's another guy. Yeah, there's another white South African I like. Um I once sat in a in a court case uh, he was presiding in uh, it was It was before he be, he became famous as the head of the um, uh, what is it the independent electoral commission uh, he was He was the first head of the first head of the first independent electoral commission that oversaw the thousand nine hundred and ninety four elections uh, proved himself to very much to be a no nonsense kind of guy a guy who could sort things out maybe we should make him action maybe we should make him um, chief executive of escom uh, that wouldn't be a bad a bad choice, you know. Or maybe, you know, um um, um nah, the old, the old mutual chief executive Peter Moyo. You know, come on, Peter. You've shown yourself to be a guy who can like stand up and fight a good fight. Imagine if John Barnes, Peter Moyo and Johan Kirchler went and took over the top post in ESCOM. Uh, I, I I think we might have something there with Vuyan and Gowana as the uh, as the legal officer. Man, you know that would be an A team of note. That would be like um, Power Rangers uh, on steroids. Uh, you know we do have talented people in this country. Uh, they they that court case I was sitting with Johan Kritzel it was a case about um a motorist who um. Had lost his arm. He was coming around um, the wilds in uh, in Johannesburg, there uh, to the north of the Joburg CBD. Uh, it's a twisty road. It's a night time. He was going downhill, and uh, the um, uh, Joburg water workers had been working on on a pipe there and had not closed had not closed uh, uh, a fire hydrant. And the fire hydrant was spewing water, a stream, a river. Uh, across the Wilds Road, uh, in, it's, it's now Joe Slover Road. In those days, it used to be, and hmm? uh it, it doesn't matter. Uh, and uh, he went round the bend and, and hit this water. He uh, his bike just went out from under him, and he crashed into another car, and he lost his arm. So now he was suing uh, Joe Big Water. For loss of of income and you know pain and suffering and medical costs and so on, you know we 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 sat in this court case with a lot of evidence going about you know like the the medical costs and the difficulties of living without an arm and you know prosthetic advice devices and so on and costs of prosthetic devices and having to go undergo surgery and having to undergo um. Uh, physiotherapy and so on, and uh, you know all these things about this guy. He's lost his right arm, and you know it's his main arm, and he's right-handed, and he can't even hug his child anymore. And the emotional costs of that, and not being able to use your right arm to, to hug your child and so on. You know, oh, just you know the usual kind of thing, I suppose you could say. And uh, eventually, it came time for the actual motorists. Now, you know, all the experts and the family members and so on have been given evidence, and now it's his turn to take the dock. And uh, we turn from lunch in the afternoon, and Jan Kirchler, um, he he kind of like walks in and he sits down, and uh, he's told by the court orderly. Uh, no, he's told that the he's told by his clerk. No, no, he's told by the court orderly that his clerk isn't there. And usually, the clerk is the person who, who who takes the oath. So uh, Jan Kirchler is obviously very deeply in thought about something, chewing over after lunch, and he sits down, and. Uh, he says, "Right, okay, uh, I'll then administer the oath." Um and so, <laughs> and so he says without looking up. Uh, "Do you swear to tell the whole? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth?" Raise your right hand and say, "So help me God." <laughs> so this motorist, the motorbike guy, I see he's standing in the dock and he and looks at the judge and he says, uh, "I don't have a right <laughs> arm." <laughs> uh, not often you'll see Jan Kirchner making a mistake. But, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that was a that was a that was a fair moment. So um Jonas told the audience last night at his book launch that the ANC's fight back against state capture was mostly driven out of self interest. Most of the push against against state capture is about saving the ANC. And I think that saving the party is still up for debate. Whether or not it has actually happened is another matter. There was a complete demobilization with the new dawn, uh, and those that resisted state capture only recently reorganized themselves again because the factions that are resisting reforms have resources. And I think we underestimate the depth of the fight back. He he appreciates the extent to which institutions like the National Prosecuting Authority have been damaged by state capture, he says, but action against those that have enabled grand corruption must be taken urgently. Unless, he says, unless we see ministers or former ministers prosecuted, um, the fight against state capture will remain theoretical. But the NPA should rather ensure success in prosecutions than having to withdraw a case that isn't ready. I understand that. Right, okay. So um, people have been saying, you know, with all the state capture inquiries and so on, why haven't the police started arresting people? You know, everyone is hearing all these allegations being put. But, you know, before you go and arrest someone, you have to make sure that all of your ducks are in a row. Uh, um, has said that there are steps that that people should be taking and could be taking, and they're not taking. Uh, so of course, uh, you know, people are, you know, bureaucrats are worrying about their jobs. So what about if I go after these guys, and then uh, Magashule takes over as president of South Africa? Is that also an issue? You know, when I worked for the Road Accident Fund a few years ago, doing the public relations, um. One of the major problems that we had, you know, because we were taking on the the lawyers, led by that uh, dog of a lawyer, Bob, Ronald Bobroff, who's now, you know, he's a former South African Law Society president. He's now a fugitive from justice in Australia. Can you believe it? Yeah. Mm. He once called me my boy. That was a very big mistake, Ronald. Anyway, um, he had a very nice silk tie. He loves silk ties, old Donald, Ronald, Donald, Ronald, yeah? They're both the same kind of guy, aren't they? They are, in actual fact, Ronald Bobroff and and, um, uh, Donald Trump. Very much the same kind of guy. Um, And that is not a a flattery. Um, Yeah. We were fighting against the the lawyers who were taking too much money. The, the Contingency Fees Act restricted uh, their, their cut to 25%, and they said that this is unconstitutional. Why should we listen to it? Because lawyers in the United States allowed to charge anything they like. We believe the same system should be here in South Africa. We believe that we should turn the entire South African advocates and attorneys field into a bunch of vultures chasing ambulances. And that is, in essence, what has happened to the South African legal fraternity. Huh? Come on. If you're a lawyer yourself and you're listening to this show, have you ever, like, sort of taken up a criminal case for someone and you just haven't had time to prepare? Uh, you've gone uh, in, in, you've appeared before a magistrate time after time after time. There's about 10 postponements you have before the actual case eventually gets underway and you charge 2,000 rand a pop. Huh? You take 20,000 rand from someone who can't really afford it, who's battling to pay their water and lights. You take 20,000 rand away from them before you even start looking at this case. And because you don't have enough time, you enter a plea bargain agreement agreement with the, with the prosecuting authority. And the guy might be as innocent as anything. And he's got to go to jail simply because you don't have enough time to give him a proper legal representation that he's paid through the nose for. Yeah, How common is that here in South Africa? And, of course, you know, the road accident fund and the lawyers are fighting that we are clogging up the courts. Uh, by private prosecution, more than 50%, I think, still on the court roll are road accident fund cases. Uh, this is the reason why, like, you know, we were turned into a no-challenge a no, a no uh, challenge, uh, settlement, you know. Uh, you don't go and take uh, the other driver to court and you end into an old acrimonious kind of thing. Lawyers make a whole lot of money, but the road accident fund eventually has to pay for both sides. And, uh, you know, it's just too expensive. And, of course, then the lawyers come along and start taking more than 25% as, as as, the legislature had decided that would be the limit, as they're entitled to do. So the lawyers went on a, on this mad kind of like disobedience campaign against the very law that made them lawyers. Very strange circumstance. And anyway, now Ronald Bobroff is uh, is in Australia. That'll teach you, Bob. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, d- 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 it pushes costs and, and money up all over the place. Um just by the way, uh, while we're while we're on the road accident fund. You know many people say yeah, like the bloody road accident fund, it's like you know, it's, it's always bankrupt. Um the amount of money, you know, we, we, we pay a certain amount of pay, uh, fuel levy and it goes to the road accident fund. Uh, you know. Um, but uh, that money isn't doesn't go directly to the Road Accident Fund. Instead, it goes to a general pool at Treasury, and then Treasury decides that the, to give a portion of the funds to the Road Accident Fund. So the Road Accident Fund doesn't actually get all of the money that we pay for the Road Accident Fund. That's one thing. And another thing, you know, um, you've got insurance, you've got car insurance, uh, you've got medical aid insurance, you go and have a look. At, uh, at the small print in your medical aid and your short-term insurance, and you will go and see that you are required in the, in the, in, uh, in the case of uh, litigation to hand over your rights to your insurer so that they can go and collect that money from the Road Accident Fund. So the Road Accident Fund plays a vital role in terms of subsidizing the insurance sector here in South Africa. In fact, you could say that uh, car insurance and uh, road and traffic insurance would be completely unaffordable in South Africa if it wasn't for the road accident fund. So you know, while people go and they, they hammer the road accident fund and complain about it, the thing is that in South Africa, the insurance industry would not be viable if it wasn't for the road accident fund. And uh, probably the same goes for the um, Workmen's compensation and uh, unemployment insurance, UIF. You know, all of these things are, are in actual fact, state subsidies to the banking industry. They are very interesting little, uh, you know, backdoor, back back passage uh, kind of things that get hidden behind the corporate veil. Uh, uh, Good news, at least, the International Monetary Fund says that South Africa isn't right now in need of an IMF bailout. Uh, there's been talk that we are rapidly approaching a situation where we're going to have to apply for an IMF bailout. You know, four trillion rand with the pension fund money in South Africa, we're going to have to apply for an IMF bailout, while at the same time, NASPAS has taken a trillion rand out of the country to go and create a European IT champion. Do you see that there's like a mismatch in all of this? You know, uh, and And you know the the, the well, have a look at Julius Malema again, another day has passed, and Julius Malema has said nothing about the, the bruder Bont, the Afrikanerbont taking a trillion rand out of South Africa so you know you can't even get good populists in this country anymore, you can't even get good communists in this country anymore the businessmen are lousy, the politicians are lousy, well you know at least we got beautiful weather we got beautiful people, we got friendly people and uh, you know, I, I, I think in many ways South Africa still, despite all of these self-imposed uh, shot in the foot because we didn't aim high enough uh, kind of wounds, self-inflicted wounds we give giving to ourselves. Nevertheless, we are still a blessed nation. I really do believe that South Africa is a blessed nation. And, uh, you know, Allah Taala is control of everything. Don't become too despondent because of the frailties of humankind. Don't become despondent because things are looking so dark. Do not give, do not, remember, remember, du'a can change Takdir. Dua can change Takdir. O oh Allah, bless this country. O oh Allah, free us of corruption. O oh Allah, bless us. Bless us with good and honest, reliable, strong and fortright leaders. With Iman. O oh Allah, surround those leaders with the best of helpers. As you did with Nabi Karim. O oh Allah, and surround them all with the best of followers. Make us like the Sahaba. Make us like the Sahaba, oh Allah, that we support our leaders. Yeah, there's a saying, you know, that uh, that people get the government they deserve. I don't know how true that is, given the, the frailties and limitations of this Western system that we have, uh, whether or not we have true, full, um, legitimate leaders in government. Uh, but I don't think we're as bad as the United States and Britain and Europe. and And for that, I think, Allah Ta'ala will. Oh, Ya yeah, Allah, we're not deserving of it. Look at what idiots we are in this country. But please, Allah, bless us and favor us and lead us and protect us anyway. Because you are most kind. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Ya yeah, Allah, Ya yeah, Allah, Ya yeah, Allah. You yeah, are yeah, Al-Qahar. You are in control of everything. You are al Wahhab. You are the giver of everything. Oh, Allah, give this country the best. I mean, I mean, I mean. Well, that's it. That's all we have time for, for today. Jazakamullah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up to today is profitable. And above all, halal. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.